I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike and joining me in today's episode are Emmett and Anne-Marie from the My Wall Street Analyst team. This week, we're talking about the collapse of the crypto exchange FTX. We break down earnings from America's big retailers, and Emmett discusses his favorite financial metric for investors to track. Before we get into it, I just want to say it's your last chance to grab tickets for next week's first ever Stock Club Live. This is going to be a great night in which Emmett, Rory, Anne-Marie, and I are going to be looking back on what has been a brutal year for the stock market, as well as looking ahead to 2023, with some bold and predictably foolhardy predictions. It's taking place in Herbert Park Hotel in Balls Bridge in Dublin next Wednesday, the 23rd of November. Tickets are extremely limited now. We've only got a few left and they're going to be available through the link in the description at a price of €20 Euro each. This also includes a couple of drinks at the bar. We're all very excited to see everyone. Look ahead to what's in store for investors next year and have a bit of a laugh and a few pints while we do it. Remember, there are only a few tickets left, so if you want to join us, be quick to snap them up. We'll see you all then. Amory Amish, welcome to Stock Club. Just... Two days before the World Cup starts, I thought we'd have a very interesting conversation about what what's more corrupt, the crypto industry or FIFA. Uh, <laughs> it's not been a great year for either. I think we've been very exposed. Yeah. 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 And, the, and, and the crypto with the football has been a big thing too. They, they like to get yes. involved. Well, yeah. I think Ronaldo, uh, Ronaldo had a good one this week where he called Man United a marketing team right before he launched his series of <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which you oh. just kind of is poetic and tells a lot about him, but we won't get into that debate. But I, I googled the other night things to do in Qatar. You know, just like what are the best restaurants in uh, Doha? Isn't it Doha's capital? Yeah, Doha, yeah. yeah, what are the best restaurants in Doha? And it had a selection, but I was kind of the reason I was looking at it I was trying to picture what's life like on the street because in the recent commentary you can see that it's not a very hospitable place to anyone who deviates from their picture of what life should be. And the restaurants looked fine, but I just thought, you know, you go to a World Cup, it's a big investment in time and money, and you kind of want to know that you're going to have a lot of fun outside of the stadium as well. The stadium is often a desert. It's a beautiful looking structure. The story of its construction stands on its own, so to speak. But like, I just don't think there's going to be many people from Ireland heading over to Doha this year. They won't survive the heat. They'll melt into the ground. Yeah. Did you see the accommodation, no? It's like Firefest oh, yeah. 2.0. It's like really yeah. dodgy tents, like in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like mattress in them and that's it. Like they this guest accommodation. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know. I think David, David O'Darty, you know, the Irish comedian, he, yeah. he, he was like, I've written the song for Ireland's World Cup song. It's like, Probably best we didn't qualify for this one. <laughs> but anyways, we're going to just sound bitter now that we're not there for uh, the Irish team. So I moving know. on to, we didn't decide more or less corrupt things. And that is the collapse of FTX. So one of the world's largest crypto exchanges, which turned out to be a complete house of cards. I think that's a fair enough statement. Yeah. Uh, from a $32 billion market cap to filing bankruptcy in the space of a few days. It's probably one of the fastest destructions of wealth we've ever witnessed. 
I think the more details come out, the more it seems that it was just a complete fraud. We've got calamitous balance sheets in dealing with uh, the CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried's trading company, Alameda Research. Complete disregard for the security of clients' funds and so much more that is still coming out. And I know this is, I know we always do this here and we record on a Wednesday and it goes out on a Friday and so much is going to happen in between. But (laughs) can you give us kind of a, Give our listeners like a rundown of what happened here and how it all went so wrong, I suppose. Yeah, well, this is truly a fascinating drama that if you live on this side of the Atlantic, you possibly didn't even hear about because we're not as really attuned to the crypto markets and centralized exchanges on this side of the pond. Before unpacking this story, Mike, let me open by reading Wikipedia's description of the firm FTX. So let's start with that. FTX is a Bahamas-based cryptocurrency exchange. FTX is incorporated in Antigua and Barbuda and is headquartered in the Bahamas. The exchange was founded in 2019 and at its peak had over 1 million users and was the third largest crypto exchange by volume. FTX was perceived as one of the most stable and respected firms in the crypto industry until it was plunged into crisis in 2002. And I'll stop reading there and we'll dive in. A crisis it most certainly most certainly plunged into because less than two weeks ago, $150 billion was lost from the 15 largest cryptos in three days flat as a result of FTX, or, or more specifically as a result of its what's an FTT token, which fell 80% in a matter of hours, which was once seen, like this FTT coin was once seen not only as a survivor, but as a really safe haven for crypto. Okay, let's go. FTX is the brainchild of a guy called Sam Bankmanfried, who's better known as S. BF. So when you see or hear SBF, it's the kind of vernacular for Sam Bankenfried. And he's been called the savior and the JP Morgan of crypto. And he founded, uh, as you said in your intro there, Mike, he founded a quantitative research firm called Almeida in 2017, I think it was. And two years later, yes, two years later, he started FTX, which, as you said, was a crypto exchange. And he is the majority owner of both firms, which did raise kind of some skepticism as there was possibly a conflict of interest as the former uh, Almeida Research might get preferential treatment from the latter, the exchange. Which of course we're all decentralized Emmet. There's no conflict of interest there. Come on. (laughs) Of course, of course. But of course it was properly denied in the media. Absolutely ridiculous. In fact, it even caused offense that such thing might be suggested. But anyway, after FTX launched it attracted tons of investment from Silicon Valley and Wall Street, and billions and billions of dollars were pushed into the business. It was, until recently, profitable and the fourth largest exchange for crypto derivatives. So SBF, the founder, he was very credible. He was is a physics and maths grad from MIT, and he'd worked in a very famous hedge fund called Jane Capital. So all that's fine. So far, so good. Enter Binance, which is the largest crypto exchange in the world, and it was one of the first investors in FTX, despite being a competitor, most especially especially in latter years and recent months. So in early 2022, just whatever, 10 months ago, when crypto started to tank, SBF started to bail out firms 
that were most affected by the downturn. And this kind of compounded his reputation as a new age JP Morgan, white knight, the crypto savior. So he was perceived as not only the guy who was the most intelligent, one of the most intelligent players at the at the crypto table, but one of the more virtuous. Meanwhile, over here in Ireland, Bankman-Fried has been discussed in media. I don't know about you guys. I think he's been... I, I hear the president of Solomon Islands being talked about more in Ireland in the media. <laughs> uh, and I've never heard the president. I don't even know if they have a president. I never heard SBF's name once over here. Have you guys heard it, even in recent days in media? No, definitely not no, in Ireland. Nothing. I don't think... I think Ireland might be a bit of a crypto dark spot. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But meanwhile... Especially in the traditional media anyways, yeah. Oh, definitely not. I mean, this story is so big as we'll start to unpack. And back in America, his firm was on TV ads starring Larry David. It's a known brand. It's a known business it's out there for anyone who's involved in any matter of, of investing and especially crypto investing. It is absolutely known and he's known. So the plot thickens. On the 2nd of November, that's just, let's see, that's just two weeks ago to today, Coindesk published a report based on a leaked Almeida balance sheet, which said it had $14.6 billion in assets at the end of June, but most of that was in FTX's tokens. So there was a leaked report and it just didn't look well. So Almeida's CEO took to Twitter under her handle at Caroline Capital and said that the balance sheet wasn't complete and that the situation was under control and it's doing well and so on. But the market was spooked. You mean the market was spooked by this information? There was a load of other stuff that came out about the balance sheet, but the basic bottom line was that it was propped up by a whole pile of assets related to the business on the other side of the alleged Chinese wall. So traders started to withdraw from FTX, the centralized exchange. And it's somewhere around this time that Caroline, whatever her name is, I actually don't know her surname, and uh, SBF. Oh, Ellison, is it? Caroline Ellison. Yeah, and Bankman-Fried had that oh feeling you get when something really, really awful is about to happen, like uh, arriving at a friend's house for dinner and smelling Brussels sprouts when the door opens. (laughs) You know something bad is about to happen, but this was way (laughs) worse. This was really bad. So FTX... And Almeida both went quiet. It was suddenly white noise. There was no responses forthcoming when asked by loads of sources for comment about these withdrawals. Then on 6th of November, Binance said, remember that early investor said that it was offloading hundreds of millions of dollars of FTT, the token. And they, Binance, did not respond to a request for a comment. So panic took hold of the market and mass withdrawals started to happen that day. FTX processed $4 billion of withdrawal transactions in, which was a multiple, a multiple of a normal day, which in turn caused a back, a backlog. So the, the orders were being processed slowly, which in turn prompted, yes, even more withdrawals. So the next day, that's the 7th of November, withdrawals hit six billion dollars. Then the next day, on the 8th of November, FTX was up you know what creek without a paddle. Basically, a modern Roman Empire was completely imploding at lightning speed. Honestly, billion, multi, multi billions of of firms value are being erased in the time it would take you to paint your kitchen. And then Binance, that early investor who dumped their shares without any comment, announced on Twitter that to protect their users, 
they had signed a non-binding letter of intent to fully acquire FTX. Yeah. Yay, they were saved. This was this, great news. This was kind of the irony as well, because that was FTX's move basically all year, wasn't it? Yes, to exactly. Come in, the white knight and everything. So Binance flipped the tables That's right. It, it was an unbelievable maneuver. Uh, so, you know, hooray, as of November 8th, we were saved. The next day, November 9th, they changed their mind. You know what? We're not going to do it. The day after that. I mean, this is the pace of this I think, story. I, yeah? think, I think they might have had two minutes to look at the balance sheet. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's what happened now in fairness to Binance. Which I was reading somewhere was like that balance sheet was like done on an Excel spreadsheet that the, the author said took 30 minutes to do. Now, I'd have no idea. They had no opinion how quickly it took to do their balance sheet, but it, it mustn't have hit the usual rigor and standards that you'd expect. So November 8th, they changed their mind. And then the day after, that's November 10th, Wall Street Journal reported that FTX used money from customer accounts to fund risky bets made by Almeida. <laughs> Not good. So FBF was willing to transfer billions of customer funds at his crypto exchange to aid and help his crypto trading firm. And now the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, is allegedly investigating the whole affair. Now, on the 11th of November, today is the 16th, so earlier in the week, SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, resigned. Right, lads, that's it, I'm off. (laughs) I pulled a bird to your hand. See ya. (laughs) Enjoy your recession. Uh, yeah, so FTX and Almeida uh, filed for bankruptcy and FTX said that it was probing a potential hack, right? Because $370 million of crypto funds appear missing. I'm doing bunny's ears to the guys here in, in, in the screen. So, you know, this reminds me of a time, you know, where just to bottom out a line of inquiry, I went looking for a missing chocolate cake with my five-year-old son whose face looked like he had been used <laughs> to clean the inside of a chocolate pot. And I was really impressed with the sincerity of his search, but I was 99.999% sure he did it. So I'm looking at this kind of, oh, we've with 700 and 370 million of crypto funds is missing. It was a hack. Like, come on, please. But anyway, like you ate the chocolate cake. I know you did. Anyway, so that's the backstory and I suppose the introduction to this whole fascinating chapter of of American corporate life. Yeah, and I think it's tough because it is. It's so fascinating. But like you have to also think as well that there is billions of dollars of customers funds caught up in this. And looking at the state of its balance sheet alone, the likelihood of them getting recovered is low. And I, Mm. I think it all turns around. You mentioned there. Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO, and his kind of in-trading with Alameda Research, uh, Alameda Research, and I just, this guy was on the cover of Fortune. He was Forbes mm. 30 under 30. He, I think, got called the next Jimmy, uh, the next Jimmy Buffett, the next Warren Buffett. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about his singing skills, but how did, how did someone like this get away with it, to pull the wool over everyone's eyes. Because he's he's not just tricking, you know, mm. me or you or Joe on the street. He's like, these are mm. some of the world's best investors that are following with their own money. Mm. The world is always seeking a hero. Like when you think about like Elizabeth Holmes, the, the world was seeking the next Steve Jobs and wanted it to be a woman. It deserved to be a woman. It was woman's time. And, and you know, this is such a complex 
And as you said, it's a, a, a apparently corrupt house of cards. It feels like a story like Tyrannus. And, and we were just saying before we went live, there's no doubt there's going to be a movie just like Bad Blood. And life happens really yeah. fast uh, in corporate America. Spe- speaking of a movie, Michael Lewis, from he wrote The Big Short, he wrote Moneyball. He's been following Bankman Freed for the last six months. Really, yeah, really. Oh, that is there. You go. The boy, the, the movies already. They're already picking who's going to play the guy. But don't you think, like, if you were a CEO of a company and the guy from the Big Short started following you around, you'd be like, something's wrong. You'd be like, yeah, we've gone. I know. We've gone I astray. I, I'm not sure if he was like invited to follow him around, though, or if he was like kind of you know covering him. There's a big difference yeah. there. I'm not sure. Either way, I would be like. Mm. Yeah, we might have taken a wrong turn here. Either way, like, is in if you're like inviting Michael Lewis to follow you around while also building this house of cards, you are either Mm. insanely confident or a bit of a sociopath, one or the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, life happens fast in corporate America. Imagine an Irish farmer's business changing at this pace. Uh, I'm going to have a go at describing this (laughs) story in agri speak. Okay. Now, I'm riffing here, so you're going to have to allow me. Okay, day one, I have 380 head of cattle. But in reality, my competitor, Mick O'Rourke, from the other side of town, owned a few head because he invested in my farm. I have another farm in the next field that I set up before this one. It's run separately. We never do business with one another, so don't worry. My old farm next door has a few head of livestock from this farm on the books, but that's it. Then breaking news, the old farm is in trouble. So its head farmer is going to tweet that it's grand and there's nothing to worry about. Okay, so that's day one. Day two, Mick O'Rourke from the other side of the town is selling the head of cattle from the new farm, my farm, and has spooked everyone in the town. So everyone wants to sell their cattle from my farm and now it's in trouble. Day three, it's okay. Mick O'Rourke said he's going to buy the farm. Don't worry about it. Day four, hold on a minute now. He's changed his mind. It was a non-binding agreement. He's not buying the farm. Day five, the Farmer's Journal has just reported that the old farm used head of cattle from the new farm for their own farming purposes. I think there's trouble. I quit. God bless. Good luck. Fact a lot here. I'm <laughs> off to the pub. That is Sam Bankman-Fried. Like this well, is, I think, I this think you're missing day seven when all those cattle ended up being like <laughs> lizards or something. <laughs> they get evaporated. They go back to the alien <laughs> yeah. spaceship. You're yeah, sneaky stuff there. It's literally almost, I suppose when you think about it in traditional industries, these type of stories cannot unfurl at this pace. It's literally mind blowing. So to your original question, Mike, how, how did the world trust SPF? It's almost because the, the playbook for this industry hadn't been written. It's an industry in fast growth. You know, it's funny, even the Wall Street Journal today reported that another firm block fee or block five prepares for potential bankruptcy as crypto contagion spreads. So yeah. it is the story, the plot thickens and it continues. Yeah. And we're saying this on Wednesday, but I saw crypto.com was in trouble as well. So um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But then which one, which one, did, which one did you say is in trouble? Crypto.com. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, I suppose this leads on to a more general question. I know you're not an expert on crypto, but I'll, after that analogy, you might become, yeah. you might become RTE's correspondent, delivering it to an Irish, <laughs> Irish audience. What does this say? Because we're talking about all these companies in trouble. We've already had the Terra Luna collapse. We've had Three Arrows Capital. We've had Celsius Networks. This has all happened within the space of a year. And now FTX is kind of this big blockbuster, mm. like, Surely there's no consumer confidence in this industry right now. What 
What do you see going forward? The industry, the technology, the asset is still in diapers or nappies, as we say here. It's, it feels very much like consumer internet in, in the 1990s, early 2000s. And, and uh, FTX is like an Alta Vista, which for listeners younger than me, which is most people, was a search engine that competed, or actually pre, it was a precursor to Google. And it was fine at the time, but it it basically vaporized, went bust. I think it was bought by AOL. I can't even recall its fate, but the analogy runs thin. My point is that we really are looking at a, an industry that just has mushroomed in no time. Five years ago, crypto was those guys in Silicon Valley. Now it's a conversation we're having here. It's a conversation that's being had around the world. So I do think that, you know, destruction of consumer confidence, it ain't good at the minute. You know, every newspaper, I I, I think every newspaper is reporting a new, I suppose, bankruptcy or, or firm failure at the minute. I'd imagine most people are sitting and watching at the minute. If they have certain like coins, they might just be sitting on them. But I can't imagine there's a lot of new money going into crypto at the minute. Very good. Thanks for that. Moving on then to something maybe a bit more like we can understand. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to say. We're talking about two of America's retail giants reported earnings this week. And despite soaring inflation and an impending recession, uh, both Walmart and Home Depot outperformed expectations on Wall Street. Amory, let's start with Walmart. Uh, break down the report for us. Yeah, as you said, it was a it was a pretty good quarter for Walmart. So revenue came in at 152 billion dollars, which beat expectations of 147. That means revenue is up about nine percent year over year. Not too bad. Uh, earnings per share came in at a dollar fifty cents, which beat expectations of a dollar and thirty two cents. That was uh, adjusted earnings per share, though, because uh, Walmart did take a take a pretty substantial hit this quarter, which was uh, they were told that they need to pay a $3.1 billion fine due to their involvement in the opioid epidemic, which meant that they reported a net loss of $1.7 billion. That being said, Walmart has said that they plan to pay all of that within the coming year, which is pretty surprising because some of the other companies that were caught up in this, like CVS and Walgreens, some of the other pharmacies, they needed 10-year payment plans in order to get this off their books. So in some ways, you're kind of like, well, at least Walmart is, is getting it over with. That revenue increase, though, looked like an 8% increase in comparable same-store sales and a nice 16% increase in e-commerce sales. There was also on the call, they were talking about something which was pretty interesting, which was their kind of international exposure, which comes from their investments. So um, CEO Doug McMillan was talking about Flipkart, which is a big Indian uh, e-commerce giant uh, that Walmart owns a pretty substantial stake in. And they had a very successful quarter this year with some pretty successful sales, including the big billion days sale. Um, So that was nice to see, you know, a bit of diversification within. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. 
a single stock. And then super surprising, or at least to me, was that Walmart's global advertising business grew by 30% year over year. So you know what? There the next go. big name in advertising <laughs> is going to be Walmart. <laughs> We're looking at Trade Desk, Facebook, Snap, no, no. Walmart. Walmart, which uh, to be... <laughs> To be fair, I would say they're having success because they basically do like sponsored search. So you go in the Walmart app, you know, you're looking for whatever diapers and and pampers pays to be at the top of the list, which is kind of a very old school kind of form of advertising. But I guess if like targeted advertising on social media has gone away, this is a good place to be. Yeah. And really the name of the game, though, this quarter is just economic spending on essentials. You know, people are looking to save money. Management warned that the economy was having a definite impact on consumer spending habits with customers opting for lower price products like hot dogs and beans instead of pricier proteins, which is truly the saddest sentence to ever be uttered. Maybe maybe everyone was just going camping, no? Yeah, everyone wanted some cowboy stew. They were like, blue beans and hot dogs for the next month. But yeah, kind of heading into the holiday season, we're just a little bit uncertain in terms of, you know, how much big box spending is going to happen. You know, they basically said we have no way to gauge if people are going to want television and apparel coming into, you know, December or January. But they still gave positive kind of conservative guidance for Q4, basically saying, well, at the end of the day, grocery spending is still going to increase. Yeah, so I think you touched on it there and like Walmart's America's biggest retailer. This is this is going to tell us a lot about the economy or I suppose, I suppose yeah. what that company sees going forward for the economy and everything. Like mm-hmm. what could you take away? Were there any interesting comments on the call? Yeah, there actually was. Um, one that really struck me was that it seems that everybody is trying to save money across the board. You know, this isn't just an issue for low-income families or middle-income families. So um, Walmart this quarter took a larger share of America's grocery budgets, and three-quarters of those gains came from shoppers with an annual income above $100,000 a year, which is pretty substantial. So you're basically seeing big earners in America start to shop at, at Walmart for groceries. And kind of, as I said in the first point, people are just cutting down on discretionary spending, which really hurt Walmart's kind of biggest American competitor, which is Target, um, which announced its earnings Wednesday morning and was just slammed by a number of things. So it saw sales decline as families contended with higher prices. Target's chief growth officer, Christina Hennington, said that customer price sensitivity seems to have intensified in the last two weeks of October. And so far um, for November, they reported it's been the same. People are trying to cut costs. They are going for the cheaper option. They're not spending as much. So really just to kind of reiterate how bad it was for Target, uh, earnings Earnings per share came in at a dollar fifty in a fifty-four cents, which it was meant to be two dollars and thirteen cents. Uh, their profit is down more than fifty percent this year, which is due to just an excess of merchandise, which they've talked about for the last couple quarters. And they they just about made our revenue expectations at twenty six point five billion dollars. So pretty hard for them. They're down fourteen percent so far in pre market trading. And um, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of a, a lesson. And, and, you know, people are really just spending on what they absolutely need to spend on. There was also a really interesting point on the Target call, which is maybe worth discussing, which is um, they said that they have seen $400 million so far in 2022 lost to a disappearance of merchandise, meaning that theft is rampant in Targets. $400 million. $400 yeah. million. And, and wow. it's like organized, organized crime, looting yeah. almost like isn't a bunch of people run in and steal whatever. Crazy, yeah, oh, run out altogether, smash yeah. and grab, like, yeah, yeah, literally. Target's been really impacted by that, which you wouldn't expect because they don't sell like 
high-end jewelry or yeah, any, you know, anything that, that you could easily turn for profit. Like a Best Buy kind of situation. I'm not sure. Yeah. It seems to be Target. So I would expect to them that management is thinking, how do we cut down on this, which is probably going to be a greater expense in terms of like security or something like that. Yeah, Amory, what's the Walmart of Ireland? If you were to pick a chain in Ireland, is there anything that looks like Walmart? Is it Lidl? No. Everything in Ireland is better than Walmart, I would say. It's kind of like deals if you like oh, put right. – produce in a deals but then also cranked the fluorescent lighting up as bright as humanly possible (laughs) so that you felt like you were like on a microscope slide as you shopped like that is how i don't know who designed a walmart store but the entire time you're in there you just want to leave which is the complete antithesis of a shopping environment but it's it's stunning so did they put the milk at the back the old trick yeah milk's at the back yeah milk's at the back there you go yeah and so the light then, is reflecting right off the white of the milk, so you can't even see it. You're just going in blind. <laughs> Your skin you is clear from the fluorescent light. Yeah. Ouch. Very good. Yeah, so it's not surpri- you're not surprised then to see that Walmart are near their all-time highs, even though everything else is kind of tanking right now in the market. Yeah, I suppose so. Like There has been a couple of strong winds blowing in Walmart's favor, and I would say investors are probably looking for a safe haven. You know, They've pretty much been scared of it, absolutely other, every other industry. So yeah, Walmart's got a couple things going for it. it. They issued strong Q4 guidance, so people are thinking, right, for at least the next couple months, we should be okay. They also have been quite good at getting rid of excess inventory, which has been a huge issue for Target, as I just said. So Walmart's inventory was up 13% year over year this quarter, but that's down from 26% um, in the second quarter and 32% in the first quarter. So they are whatever they're discounting it's it's working like they're getting this stuff off the shelves which is good for them you know you want strong turnover and also you know they don't seem to be having the same profitability issues the target is having and other kind of more expensive retailers so uh yeah i'd say in the short term walmart is is, is looking all right mm. very good mm. moving on then to uh home depot which also surprised investors with the beat on both revenue and earnings so how did they do it because yeah it's uh, it's always surprising when you see, but I mean, we always, I know Rory always talks about Home Depot as kind of being this this perfect recession resistant stock because people are either building homes or they're renovating homes and that was kind of proven this quarter. So Home Depot uh, reported its third quarter revenue increased about 6% and came in at just under uh, $39 billion, which is pretty impressive. Um, it saw growth in both professional and do-it-yourself sales, which is nice. So kind of both sides of the table, people are still, uh, still, still happy enough to be tiling things and installing toilets and all that stuff. And interestingly, management actually said on the call that most professionals say that their backlogs remain strong. So, you know, they expect to see professionals continuing to come into the store for the next couple of quarters, at least. The company also posted a profit of $4.3 billion, which is $4.24 per share, which uh, beat expectations uh, pretty well, actually. They were expecting $4.12 a share. So, um, yeah, it was nice, kind of simple quarter for Home Depot, just kind of met expectations. And they were able to reaffirm their full year guidance for the holiday quarter, which is uh, what we like to see. So, again, yeah, another solid performance from a company that's kind of necessary. Sorry, Amory. It's nice to see like a business having four point three billion left in the till after all their expenses in yeah. times such as this. <laughs> Talking just, big it's numbers, amazing. Like. <laughs> it yeah. is huge. The might of this brand is really uh, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. and then good good time to hone di- to have dividends. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And then for a company like Home Depot, which wouldn't really see, I suppose you could call it almost tailwinds for Walmart in in. Uh, poor macroeconomic conditions would would it be the same for home depot or would they be more affected by high inflation and the possibility of kind of a a downturn ahead yeah it's it's kind of difficult to say and that seems to be something that management um 
feels as well. So on their call, uh, Home Depot CEO Ted Decker said, we're navigating a unique environment. We can't predict how the macroeconomic backdrop will affect customers going forward. Um, but they seem pretty optimistic, you know, being able to reiterate um, their guidance for Q4. Um, yeah, it's – it's. Uh, I would I would be surprised to see Home Depot struggle in the next couple of quarters. You know, we saw something like uh, average customer customer the number of customer transactions trended down slightly this quarter, just down by about four percent. But average ticket prices rose by nine percent, so they're easily making up for you know fewer customers coming in. Yeah, so I'd say they'll be okay for the next next couple of quarters. I, I can't see see people running off anywhere else too soon. Very good. Thank you very much. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag on U.S. retail at the minute. Good for Walmart. Good for Home Depot. Not good for Target. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay then. So, lads, the date is almost upon us. The first ever stock stock club live is next Wednesday in the Herbert Park Hotel in Dublin. We're going to say good luck and God bless to 2022, and please don't come back <laughs> <laughs> for what has been an awful year for the market. And we're going to look in the head to 2023 and hopefully greener pastures. Emmett, you're kind of the pro here when it comes to these live shows. Uh, can you give it? Give our listeners a taste of what's to come next week. Yeah, well, this is going to be a really great show. And just the kind of the beginnings of the idea of doing a live podcast came from our live Horizon members event uh, about two months ago or so, where uh, we filled a room full of our valued members. We brought in a guest from America, Bill Mann from The Motley Fool, and we had a really great discussion. It was just a great night. There was a buzz. The three of us and Rory and Bill took to the stage and James and we discussed stocks we love, stocks we like, our three desert island stocks. Bill pitched a stock, uh, which uh, business that I had never heard of and I've since researched and is coming to Horizon soon. And it was just from that, it was from that event that we put our heads together and said, wouldn't it be great just to do something uh, like that? but light, L-I-T-E, a light version of it. And we're just going to get a bunch of people together at a convenient time, at a convenient place and do something that just creates a buzz. So really that's what we're doing uh, the, uh, next Wednesday. And the thing about our podcast here, as the two of you know, and uh, some of our listeners know, it was started as a side hustle. I think it was a, a coronavirus spinoff. And now, you know, Stock Club is in Spotify's top 10 podcasts for business and technology. It's in Apple's top 25 in their investing chart. It's ranked number one in all categories in a whole pile of countries, uh, mostly tax havens, but that's mostly, mostly Bermuda. <laughs> which you discussed last Mostly week. Bermuda. <laughs> uh, but uh, what matters is we're getting our listeners together. We are going to have a really great show. Uh, just two hours ago, the three of us and Rory, we had a good chat about what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about 2022 and some big insights. We The, the world news was there for all to see and it, that's, that's there. But there were some spin-off observations we can make. We're going to talk a little bit about the cult of Elon um, and is it coming to an end? And we're going to get out that famed crystal ball and we are going, sponsored by Long Term Buy and Hold, we are going to all pick a stock that we believe is a screaming buy for 2022 three it's not going to take long it's a i think it's going to be in a one hour show it's going to be a couple of beers included with the ticket and what i might say and it's not an insignificant thing if you're in ireland by attending you're supporting an irish business and uh but most of all it's going to be fun we're going to have a, the crack as we say over here c-r-a-i-c which is an irish word for fun <laughs> just, just a disclaimer <laughs> just there. to be clear <laughs> 
and we are going to have the crack and it's going to be a good evening and we'll have some nice ideas and I think we're going to have a really good get together. So that's next Wednesday uh, evening in the Herbert Park Hotel, which is in Ballsbridge in Dublin and tickets are on Eventbrite and I think they're 20, 20 euro yeah. pop. And just yep. confirm it here. So we're next Wednesday, November 23rd at 7 p.m. Herbert Park Hotel in Ballsbridge. Tickets are 20 quid each and they are selling fast. So there's actually not that many left. So yeah. if you are listening and want to go, make sure to act fast. Very good. That's a good pitch, Emmett Fair Play to you. Now, moving oh, I'm getting on. used to it. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be pretty impressive if you weren't going to pitch us at this stage. But uh, moving on then, we've got a question in from a listener here who wants to know what's your favorite metric, Emmett, when you look at a stock? Yeah, there's a lot of metrics I watch and I have learned over my life that matter metrics such as insider ownership, which is the amount of company shares owned by the officers and directors and the people working in the business. And it has been measured as optimal between 5 and 40%, for example. And when it falls outside that range, you find businesses are the probability of creating long-term shareholder value is slightly reduced. So it's all these numbers. Like another one, for example, is you might remember on the podcast here, I interviewed Chris Mayer, who wrote a book, 100 Baggers and Where to Find Them. And he, he identified the attributes of businesses that are positioned to grow 100 fold, which is a very rare beast. And the number that he said he most looks at, and it's not a single zero-sum game, but the one he most appreciates is a good return on equity. Good is like 20% or more, or getting near to 20%. But my favourite, it's funny, my favourite number changed this year. And it changed because I read a new report that was written by BCG and Goldman in a joint study on what ultimately drives long-term shareholder returns. And this was a very fascinating study because it took the one, two, five, ten year view of the in in the what what factors truly drive share price appreciation. And that number was and is uh, revenue growth. So money that you can I guess profit is a derivative. I don't guess profit is it <laughs> is a derivative of revenue growth. But when you look at the businesses that have performed best over the long term, and we're long-term investors, the number that's most common to all of them is revenue growth, which also challenges our logic because thinkers were like, well, shouldn't it be profit growth? But when you I often refer to Netflix as my lived case study, and Netflix decided it was on a land grab and it was out to get as many bods, as many pairs of eyeballs as possible on its platform before it started to optimize for profit and revenue growth was a number that mattered. So the number that I and the metric that I most concern myself with now is revenue growth. And by no means is it the only number that matters, but it is the one that can most influence my optimism in a company. Y'all. Y'all, is that how you're signing up? <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in there and re-send, remind you of America. How did, how did I do? Just getting spicy. Um, I'm not exactly from y'all territory, but no, I know it, was, it was a nice touch. You said crack earlier and then you had to bring it home with the American y'all just to appeal to all audiences. Uh, That's it. I'm, I'm yep. a man for all people. Yep. Very good. Thanks for that, Emmett. Very insightful. We're going to close out the show then with our elevator pitch, Amory. What company have you been looking at recently? I have see, I had a hard a hard week now picking a stock because I have a couple <laughs> irons been in a, the fire. It's been a long week, Mike. It has. <laughs> Don't be asking me these questions, <laughs> Mike. I was off Monday and Tuesday. It's been incredibly challenging. It doesn't sound like that um, long of a week. 
Um, <laughs> but I have a couple irons in the fire that I'm interested in. But because of the live event, I have to save them and I can't save them yet. So then I had to go looking for like an alternative fun stock. I like to, this, to, yeah. this sales Which, pitch. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so then I had to go looking for like a fun one, like maybe a throwaway one for the podcast in this instance. But I actually ended up finding like kind of a funny one, which is, have you guys ever looked at WWE, World Wrestling uh, Entertainment? Yes. Comes yeah. up on all of my screeners. And whenever gonna, I put in all the parameters I like, WWE is top of the list. Yeah, yeah, it's done really well kind of the last six quarters, but it's been doing well for years. It's up mm. the – and to be fair, they're defying the odds this year because the stock is up 35%, so good for them. At least someone is having fun. Except their staff, by the way. Yeah, I was just I about to say, I was going to be like a candy was, I'll let you finish, but... Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I was so getting like We haven't here. gotten to risks yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's the media live events and consumer products company that we all know. So anything involving them, they make money off of. It's They've been kind of in a transition period because of Vince McMahon, who used to be the head of the company, he stepped away about a year ago and people kind of freaked out. They thought it wasn't going to go well, but the kind of team of executives that have filled his spot seem to be seem to be doing a good job. Um, they have a $5.4 billion market cap, PDE of 29, which is a bit high for and, uh, being serious, and then a small dividend of 0.7%. But for the last six quarters, they've had more than 20% revenue growth. As, wow. as Emma was saying, revenue growth is important. Uh, gross margin of 43%, operating margin of 25%. Wow. Yeah. So it's considering crazy. the physicality of it, I, I was just about. I love what's the gross margin on pedigrees and tombstone pile yeah. drivers. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy. But yes, you are correct in that they have been repeatedly criticized for, I think they have some sort of loophole where the wrestlers are contractors. So the companies don't have to provide them with health insurance. And obviously, like when you're a professional wrestler, you're getting wrecked. And so you should probably have health insurance. Mm. Um, And so it's very expensive for them to then go out and independently buy the insurance because they're in a high risk industry. That was an issue. And I remember watching a a special about it maybe a year ago. I haven't seen if that has been updated, like if they've changed that policy, because there was quite a lot of public criticism. So yeah, it is. This is kind of maybe one of those where you'd have to set your morality aside to be an investor, unfortunately. (laughs) But uh, they're doing well. But for a company that doesn't provide dental, they all have lovely teeth. You know, by the time we go to bed, listen, listen, by the time we go to bed on Saturday night, something like 10 to 20,000 people have listened to this episode with another 30,000 to follow soon after. I'm going to guess that nobody, nobody who listens to this show is um, a a big follower of WWE. I just think we have completely pushed back on that. No, would you? Do you well, sit down and like, watch WWE? No, can, I haven't, I haven't watched it for it. like 20 years, but like I think there's such a legacy there, no? Of like yeah, a childhood kind of memories thing. I do think that there is a nostalgia element to it because it was very popular in the 70s and 80s. And I think that's where like the older demographic comes in in yeah. terms of watching it. But young kids, like yeah, young kids seem to really like it. John Cena is so popular. Everyone loves yeah. John Cena. Uh, he's got yeah. like the one of the greatest, uh, I, such attention now, but he's got such, <laughs> he's like the nicest guy ever. He's done... He's fulfilled the most make a wish. Yeah, like, he holds the Guinness World anyone. Record. Yeah. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. So yeah. Hats off guy, to apparently. him. That's really good. I love that now. I saw yeah. him on the Graham Norton show and I was like, who's this guy? But um that's very that's fabulous. I love that yeah. now. Little yeah. kids really love him, so it's he mm. seems to be like very in demand. And yeah, he oh, grants every single that's one. Brilliant. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh wow, that's brilliant now. That's brilliant. John Cena, yeah. A1. Think you think you treat him better though. Give him some health insurance or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, Emmett, follow that. I don't think you're gonna yeah. go on. Did you ever see the video when Rod Stewart conducted the Scottish Cup draw 
Yes. Yeah. Well, favorite. I say to our listeners, if you have You're telling everyone you're drunk. Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, not at all. Google Rod Stewart conducting the Scottish Cup draw and see how he pulled balls from the ball holder thing. It was very funny. That's how I'm going to do it today. I have a long list of stocks in front of me here that I'm watching and that I like. And I'm going to plunge my arm in from high and pull a name out to pitch to you now. Right, here goes. And plunging here, look, guys, you can see. <laughs> okay, Trello. Okay, right. I like this one. This is a great business. It's called Cummins, which <laughs> will be well known to all petrol heads and mechanical engineers out there. Um, if you've ever worked in as a mechanic or you've ever kind of had engines as a hobby, Cummins is their name. They do everything from agricultural engines and fire pump drives and marine engines and school bus engines and uh, everything to do from RVs, pickup trucks, anything that has an engine in it. And an awful lot of things do from your lawnmower through to your local transit bus. Cummins most likely has their engine block or uh, elements of that engine in there. So it's a, it's, a, it's an old world business, very well known to those in the industry. It's a big business. Uh, in third quarter recently, it did $7.3 billion in revenue. It's 12.1% EBITDA margin. It's one of these businesses that's done very well this year because diesel generators, uh, for a start, are probably on the up. But anything to do with energy capture, creation and distribution is a hot trend this year. Uh, it's a lovely business. It's uh, let's see, it is the di- it's the Disney of diesel. How about that? Cummins Disney is the of Disney diesel. of diesel. If you love Disney and you love engines, you should buy Cummins. <laughs> Big fan. Yeah. No, it's got a, it's a, it's just, a, you know what I think? Here's what I think. I think Cummins is a business that I would say highly likely to be around for a very long time, despite the shift from traditional powertrains to electric powertrains. I think engines are going to have a much longer half-life than we are led to believe as a, as a three podcasters here, we very often talk about the move to electric and all the players in that space. But when you think about the amount of things that have a traditional engine in it, it's going to take a long time. I think it's going to be around for a long time. I think it's going to be profitable for a long time. And I think they're in market leading position to uh, move into other powertrains when the time is right. Very good. Thank you very much. Two good pitches there. That's going to finish us out today, lads. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter. That's at MyWallStreetHQ. On TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet. Or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, why don't you join us in the flesh next Wednesday for Stock Club Live in Dublin. Remember, tickets are almost sold out, so don't miss out. You can get them from the link in our bio. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll talk to you next week. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. 
To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.